Before we get started today, mm -hmm. yeah, I just want to say that you're having a strike. Yeah, I just want to say, you know, I just want to thank our listeners before we uh, get into our special today. Oh. I know that uh, I know that 2021 was a rough year for a lot of people, <laughs> and uh, well, uh, just the fact that someone possibly gained some measure of you know our podcast could have contributed to anyone's um, well-being, um, improved their general life condition in some small way, then uh, and then I think we can safely diagnose them with something. <laughs> Uh, well, that's not a very kind thing to say. I'm doing a nice gesture for our <laughs> listeners, and you're just spitting in their faces. Uh, well, I just want to say, I'll say thank you to the fans. This is Project A+, Plus, right? It, it still is. My name's Hunter, your name is Heel. And what, what special episode do we have for the fans today, Heel? Well, because a year recently ended, we are going to look back upon the year that was in film. Mm. That was. Yeah, we're going to celebrate the films of 2021. Which, while not being a great year, director. <laughs> which, while not being a great year for life in general, was a great year for the cinema. I think we could both agree on that. And that's all that matters. And we'll celebrate that starting now. But before we do so, I think we have a little bit of, uh, you know, um, to get into the celebratory mood. I think we both prepared a little bit of a, a snack, something to dosh on while we discuss the movies. Mm-hmm. We got some fruit, some rosé, some sparkling rosé. Some Project Rosé Plus. We have both have some brie, hopefully. Do you have some crackers to pair with the brie? I do have some, I do have some crackers to pair with the brie. Me too. I've got a whole wheel of brie right in front of me. What else? Um, what, sort, what sort of fruit do you got? I have, a, I have quite the variety. Uh, I just used what I had at hand, so I didn't have to visit the grocery store again. Mm. And uh, I cut up an apple and chucked it in my wow. champagne. My rosé. <laughs> I think this is our third one. Is it our third? I think it's our third. Uh, best of? Year-end thing? Let's, is it really? Only our third. Let's check. Let's, uh, maybe it's our fourth. Let's see. There's the... Feels like it's our fourth. Well, I'm going to find out. Okay, so 2020 Christmas special, all right? Okay. 2019, all right. That was an old hot buttered rum. <laughs> so it's just a question of whether we did one in 2018. Yeah. Which could go either way. We must have. We'll find out. I don't think we did. Really? I don't think so. Oh no, yeah, I don't think we did either because the. No, we did. <laughs> okay, so this is the oh, first we did? one. Yeah. <laughs> right, <never mind. laughs> oh, yeah, we must have, yeah. Yeah. Because it started, started in, 2018. In, early, in early 2018. Yeah. yeah, so we would have done one in the year. That makes sense. Well, yeah. For some reason, we first existed to it for four fucking years. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I can't uh, think of a better better person to waste my life with than you, bud. <laughs> right back at you. All right, what can we say about 2021? Uh, it was pretty pretty suck sucky year, I think. But, you know, when I was going through and making my list, I realized the year was much better for movies than I thought it was. I actually had some trouble making my list, which I was not expecting at all. I'm sure that you didn't, but that's that's yeah, on you. I did not have any trouble. So I think this was a I think this was a decent year for uh, the seventh art form. And um, I'm excited. To, you know, I, I'm excited to see what the next year holds. I'm also excited to reflect back on some of what this year held, right? Or last year held. Yeah. All right. Uh, should we uh, get right right into it? Let's do it. Air Diaries. Uh, we're not doing air. We're not doing the regular bits. It's the special. <laughs> oh, bro. It has been really cold in Minnesota recently, though. Really? Yeah. That's a shame. Yeah, this week it got up to like negative 20. Wow. Yeah. What's the temperature where centigrade and Fahrenheit meet? Is it minus 15? I think so we looked it up last time. Let's find out when does Celsius negative forty, negative forty. Oh, okay. We haven't quite gotten that cold yet, but we may get there. Wow. Um, but it has been really cold. And just for the record, what is what is thinking of twenty in Celsius? I guess it can't be less than minus forty. It's negative twenty nine. So that's weird. I don't understand how that works. Me <laughs> I don't get it. But it doesn't matter. Right, so, um, how has how is your uh, week been, bro? How's my week been? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been all right, I guess. Did you First enjoy, week uh, back to work. Enjoy your work? I did not. <laughs> At toi? Uh, I also did not go, did enjoy going back to work. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers to that. Yeah. Cheers to, to no work in the future. Amen. Uh, it's, it's kind of an apocalyptic vibe going on in the states right now. I think. Yeah. Especially in, like the school environment. Oh, we just have so many COVID cases. No one in the government seems to care. It just seems like everything's going wrong. Yeah, that's happening here. Yeah, yeah, we've joined you in that uh, philosophy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you think I would have gotten over it? It having been like you know at least I don't know like three fourths of a year of this, but but no. <laughs> No. We did um, impose some minor restrictions again. Um, did we? By we, I mean we, the Victorian people. I thought, I th for some reason, I thought you were talking about the whisk Mickey. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, but what, one of the stipulations was that um, where possible, if you're an office worker, you shouldn't work in the office, at least for the rest of the month. Mm. 
which is a good thing for me because, you know, they're our chief client. <laughs> like the, the buildings uh, that sell our product are like usually within office complexes and for office workers. So, so production, production quotas have been well, is what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, they were low, like just coming back from the break, but I'm assuming they're not going to rise uh, any further mm. and they may, they may decline. So that'll be good. Hopefully they'll just cut some shifts and shit. Mm. I'll have another holiday. Nice. Well, I don't have anything like that and I'm working still. Work three days next week. I'm going to work four days the week after that and four days the week after that. Thanks to school wow. holidays and having to take off for medical stuff. So, mm. finally going to get my, um, my, my smart pills. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the healthy way to approach that, right? I need, um, <clears throat> I need some smart pills that enable me to uh, book another appointment and go through the whole process again <laughs> in order to get... <laughs> get diagnosed in the first place it's a, it's a catch 22 you need yeah. smart pills to get smart pills <laughs> <laughs> oh boy i really like blood oranges what would be what would be the funniest thing is if i eventually do get a diagnosis and they're like mm. yeah no that's fine <laughs> you're, just <normal. laughs> you're, you're, just, you're just bad at being alive. you're just mediocre like that's what it is like it's not <laughs> You should try anything uh, outside your control. You should try meditating. I might actually, honestly. You should try meditating and getting exercise. Yeah, I, I I I agree with that. But again, it's it's difficult to to do that kind of stuff. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start exercising. Some of my friends have turned me onto a, a not a new method, but a method that they've gotten into for exercise. Really? Which is, which is rock climbing. Rock climbing. No. I thought this was going to be this great thing I could just do in my house. No, no. <laughs> There's lots of uh, rock climbing gyms in the Minneapolis area. So. There's actually a rock climbing gym next to my workplace. There you go, so. bro. <laughs> but like, yeah, no. I'm going to take a class and then I think I'm going to start doing it if I like it. Very much really uh, good for you, you know. I'm sure it is. Speaking of... Uh, being, it seems uh, preferable to like just going to a gym and working out. Yeah, because you're like working towards a goal that's not just like you know mindlessly doing something. Yeah, which is so my main, like, that's I would, my main if, problem. If there was like no exercise. sort of barrier to entry, and by barrier to entry, I mean like going having to, to sign gym. up or take yeah. a class or something. Well, I mean, and I could just like walk in next door and climb the wall. I, mean, I would you, do you that. Can't, you can't do that, you know, if you sign up appropriately. But I mean, you probably want to learn how to do it first. <laughs> no, I'll be alright. Okay. Well, um, you should do that. I've done it before. Like I think I've done it in school at one point. <laughs> I am. Yeah, I've also done it before, <laughs> I am afraid but... of heights, which doesn't help. But wow. I think I can do it. I used to be severely afraid of heights, but I got over it when I was about uh, sixteen or seventeen. Really? Yeah. I got. It would be to the point where I couldn't even look at like really tall buildings. Where I really? Once, wow. Yeah. I remember once I was I was in a museum and they had like a staircase that was like going up. And I looked at the top of the staircase, and I started to get vertigo just looking at the wow. top of the staircase. And I remember once uh, my parents not, parents took me to go to uh, Montreal, and I had a panic attack on this like funicular thing. Mm. Shouts shouts out to Harumi Hasato. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, because it's like it like took you to like a. It was almost like the um, house from 
body double, you know, it was like kind of a, a circular building oh, yeah. on top of this thing. Yeah. And um, I had I had, really bad pain. I had to keep my hand on the wall. Wow. <laughs> in the center. <laughs> so. I don't think I've ever had like a, a, a like a full on case of like vertigo or anything. Then when I was when I was uh, when I was sixteen, my aunt and uncle took me to the Empire State Building, and we went to the top of that. And then I was like, you know what, this isn't scary anymore. Now I don't have vertigo or the fear of heights at all. So. See, with things like the Empire State Building, I'm I'm not scared of that either. When you're completely enclosed, mm. like there's no there's no actual physical way you could fall over. But if mm. there's like if there's like just like one rail and you could like fall through it or something, that's when I get kind of nervous. Gotcha. But I, I, I feel it even when I like cross just like a road going over the, the freeway. Wow. Stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I don't, but yeah, I don't it's not that. severe, but I do feel it. Hey, speaking of a fear of heights, uh, should we talk to the great heights that cinema went to this year? Should we scale the, the mountain of <laughs> yeah. cinema that we consumed in yeah. the previous uh, 12 months? Yeah, let's see. Let's let's get the negative stuff out of the way first. What do you think about that? Um, what do I think about that? Do I think anything about that? I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I think you'll just say sure. Why not? Sure. Why not? Yeah, that's right. We could do All one right. of the things where we could like sp split both lists in half and no, finish no, on no, the, no. the top five sort of thing. No, no, no. All right, let's get the worst out of the way. Yeah, let's do the worst of the year, and then, well, I'll tell you what we should do after that. After that. So let's right. have the worst of times, and then the best of times. Yeah, let's do the worst of the year, then the five films that critics acclaimed that we didn't care about, and we can go from there. Mm -hmm. Then after that, we can do the special award, all right? Mm -hmm. Our individual special award. Then five films that we wished we had watched for the list. Five discoveries, not from 2021. And then finally... Our top ten. How's that sound? Mm-hmm. Great. So, uh, <laughs> do you want to start or do you want me to start for our bottom ten of the year, 2021? Um, <clears throat> you can start. Okay. Now, I'm going to start by saying there were, I would say, eight films on this list that I really hated. Maybe seven. And then the... Other ones I was just like whatever about, but I needed to fill the list with something, so here we are. Fair enough. Uh, so to start off, uh, this is a film that we watched for the podcast pretty recently. Uh, it is a romantic comedy that feels like it was uh, exhumed from... Uh, Wait, which a, order are we going from? Like the least bad to the most bad, right? Yeah, so the 10th worst to the number one worst. Yeah, okay. Um. So, uh, like I said, it feels like it was exhumed from a vacuum-sealed uh, tube from the year uh, 2009. Uh, it's a romantic <laughs> comedy called Love Hard, uh, which was neither romantic nor comedy. Um, and I did not enjoy it. <laughs> Even though it has kind of a odd, oddly compelling quality of having to be this, this something that feels like a period piece, kind of, in the way that mm -hmm. everyone talks so dated, but it's set in the present day. I don't know. So there is kind of a strange, compelling quality to it, but it's also uh, really hard to watch. It is sufferable. And Especially because it's very much trying to be modern and, like, subversive. <laughs> yeah. To some degree. And it fails at doing that, uh, obviously. Uh, it's got some sort of very strange racial elements that we talked about. <laughs> it does, and I cut that bit out of the episode. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I cut a lot of the episode. Coward. Coward. <laughs> um, no, not because I disagree with what we were saying, but uh, it, it wasn't actually terribly well articulated and it took forever, mm. so I just cut the whole bit. <laughs> Maybe you could uh, <laughs> summarize it in capsule form now. It's okay. But anyway, this movie's bad. I didn't like it. It's called Love Hard. That's it. What's your number 10 worst film of the year, Hugh? Um, my number 10 worst film of the year is uh, apparently The Tomorrow War. Mm. I, let's let's take a quick let's take a uh, let's take a quick pause. I think we should if if a film is on both of our list, okay, we should pause and wait for the person who put ranked it higher to to say that we could both talk about it then, okay? So needless to say, that is that's also on my list. I was gonna say, <clears throat> can we pause so I can um, jack off, top up my uh, my glass? Bro, don't you have to go to work? I don't know. If you yes, I do. Shut up. <laughs> okay, <laughs> go go ahead. <laughs> My number ninth least favorite film was Army of the Dead. Hmm. Is that on your list? It is. All right. Then we'll talk about it later. <laughs> My number nine is Without Remorse. Is that mm, on your that list? Is not, that is not on my list. Okay. Well, let's hear it. What about Without Remorse? So this is a film that we watched uh, for a podcast that will never be released. In the is, Tank um, with Project A+. Plus. In the Tank with Project A+. Plus, where we would select a film we didn't particularly think would be good, but would be appropriate to talk about without preparation while drinking. Mm. Something like that, right? Yeah. 
So just like a loose kind of hangout episode of uh, Project A Plus, we did a few of these. Um, I have never listened back. I have no idea what they were like. Uh, but based on the memory of recording them, I'm sure there was nothing salvageable there. Uh, we did an episode on Without Remorse. I, I really barely remember the film. Um, the only thing I the only thing about the film that I've retained is the fact that we watched worse. So it wasn't that bad. And I think on balance, there was more amusing stuff in The Tomorrow War, which is why this ranks below that. I remember finding Without Remorse uh, to be uh, surprisingly enjoyable. I thought it had some uh, pretty enjoyable action sequences, which I was not expecting, but what do you know? Sometimes movies have a way of creeping up on you. And there's all sorts of goofy stuff in Without Remorse, but we'll talk about that later. I've forgotten most of it. <laughs> There's a scene where he um, like pees all over, he, like dumps a bottle of liquor all over his jacket. Oh, that was a good bit. Yeah, yeah, that was no, the that's best pretty, bit. That's pretty fun. Moving on. My number eight worst film of the year 2021. Uh, I would like to dedicate this award, uh, this slot, as the um, American Utopia. Uh, slot in my list, which if it infamously ranked on my bottom of the year last year, uh, not so much because of its own quality, but because I hated how much critical attention it got, despite the fact that it sucked. And uh, this is another film that fits right into that, which is uh, The Green Knight, <laughs> mm, uh, which wow. I thought was uh, a film totally devoid of anything interesting that inexplicably got extremely critically acclaimed. Uh, I thought it was boring and dumb and... Uh, I wouldn't say inexplicably, based on the fact of just what I know about it, mm. it seemed like the type of film that people yeah. like. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe inexplicable after I had watched it. <laughs> yeah. Because it just feels like kind of a, um, you know, indie fantasy film paint by numbers kit. Mm hmm. I did not enjoy the experience of watching it. It, it do, it do, Huey Jinping. Okay, what are we up to, number seven? That's my number, that was my number eight. So you're doing your oh, number eight. My number eight. Uh, my number eighth worst film of the year is No Time to Die. Hmm. Is that on your list? It's not on my list. <laughs> Though I did not enjoy the experience of watching it. <laughs> but there was enough of it that I thought was passable where I thought there's there are things that I disliked more than it, so... So, like, it, it, I do really resent the fact that um, they've applied sort of the modern continuity-based blockbuster formula to the James Bond franchise. Me too. Um, I don't care about Bond as a character, never have, never will. So, <laughs> the more you try to make me care, the less I care. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I do think it's a huge mistake that this follows on so directly from previous installments and also tries to inject pathos and, you know, the fact mm. that it kills Bond at the end is so stupid. It's got a yeah. lot of, it's got a lot of like bafflingly bad decisions that do make it enjoyable to some degree. Yeah. I found most of the action sequences pretty prosaic though. And some, Me some too. of them even felt like, um, car commercials, you know, which is always mm. a thing with, with Bond productions. Yeah. But someone like, like Martin Campbell brings a little bit more of a punchy quality to the actions, you know. Mm. But um, there, I, I have to admit there was a, part, a sequence in this film that I thought was very enjoyable, which was 
the bit in Cuba, despite the fact that it, it uh, suffers from an obvious attempt to uh, femin- feminist it up a bit, which is not, you know, needed at all. <laughs> I've heard a lot of um, people like single out that sequence, but it, it did nothing for me at the time. Um, mm. I didn't have an issue with it, but nothing stood out for me for whatever reason. Uh, maybe that's something I'll notice more when I look it, back it on felt it. A, yeah, when you, you revisit the film over yeah. and over again. Yeah, which will never <laughs> happen again. <laughs> <laughs> it felt a, until we do our Bond series. It, it felt a lot like uh, it felt like classic Bond to me, you know. Mm. So I, I enjoyed that bit, but the rest of it sucked. I think that the best legacy of the Bond franchise is their like disposable rewatchability. Mm. So like you might yes. catch one on TV, and even if it's pretty crap, you're like, oh, as long as they're flying to exotic locations and there's yeah. some action. Yeah, it's gonna be some sex, pretty whatever. pretty photos. You know, maybe Bond will do yellow face. You know, but they're all kind of interchangeable to a degree, and this feels like something that that is so like leaden with like portentousness yeah. that uh, it wouldn't be enjoyable to revisit. No, but revisit which, it which you is, will when we do our Bond. Bond series. <laughs> yeah, unless you have to revisit it for professional reasons. Yeah, like our podcast, which is our, yeah. our job. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the the Rami Malek's performance is is awful, but I guess amusing. Terrible. At the same time. There's a lot of so holes the, in it. The bit, the, uh, uh, I thought it, the bit where he's like confronting uh, Leah Sourdough and the psychologist at her office, I thought was pretty funny, but the rest of it I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the funniest part of the film to me was the the whole kind of biological weapon where, you know, mm. if you get infected with these nanobots. Yeah, it's so sweaty. <laughs> it means that whatever the target of the DNA target of the nanobots is, if you come into skin contact with that person, they instantly die. I would just love to see them like, I just would love to see the like writing sessions where they came up with that idea. Because <laughs> obviously they worked back from the point of like, how can Bond... Bond has to sacrifice himself. How can he? Yeah. How can we make it plausible to do so? They can only like the weirdest possible thing to do it. <laughs> that doesn't even make any sense on its own terms. Like it's all it's all a huge contrivance to get to the moment at the end where he realizes that he's been infected with the Leia Seydoux nanobots that will kill her if he touches her and his beautiful daughter and his beautiful daughter uh, that he's just found out that he has. Um, so that means that. Even if he survives, he won't be able to touch the love of his life. Mm. And uh, so he's like, oh, well, I guess I'll just die. I'll let the bombs hit me. But it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> they haven't developed the technology to deal with this yet. But that, who's to say that they won't in like two minutes yeah. upon further you know, research? It, it really kind of feels like Bond wanted to like, you know, he was, he was ready to die. You know, he didn't want to raise this kid. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> And secondarily, even if they can't touch each other, he can still be a present parent to his daughter. Yeah. Can he not? No, no. Even if he yeah. was like communicating by Zoom and they didn't have like a, a plastic like divide in their house. No, or no, like no. no, 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 there's, no. There's a way of doing it. There's a way of still being a parent. No, if, no, If no. the kid had a choice between Bond over Zoom and just his, her father dying at age eight or something. No, no, no. What would she choose? No, no. I feel like it would be so easy to come up with a situation where he has to sacrifice himself. It, uh, it's, it's baffling that they had to go to such a lengths to make it like this weird, stupid mm. plot. Like, it's just strange. Movie sucks. That's all there is to it. It, it does suck. Your turn. Number seven. My number seven is another film we did for our uh, never-to-be-released uh, micro-series. Uh, it's a film called Woman at the Window. 
<laughs> I've got that on my list, so... Okay. Well, yeah, hold what's your number seven, then? Uh, my number seven is Last Night in Soho. I'm assuming that's on well, your list. Well, I've got that on my list, so yeah. we'll talk about that later. <laughs> my number six... I, I can almost guarantee this is on your list. Is uh, a film called uh, A Castle for Christmas. Uh, it's on my list. <laughs> All right, so what's your number six then? My number six is Army of the Dead. Uh, so you've <clears> already <throat> mentioned that, right? Yeah, the, it, it sucks. <laughs> I barely remember watching this. I just remember that it was disappointing even on its own terms. It was, it was like 100 hours long. Yeah. Unfunny. Half the movie was like out of focus for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it's something very odd about the cinematography and and just the yeah. whole vibe of and the so film. Snyder shot it himself. It feels very Urzads. <laughs> you just want it to be like trashy zombie fun, and it just isn't. Yeah, it's like super self serious. It's not entertaining at all. I mean, it tries hard to be funny, but. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if we had the uh, Chris D'Elia cut, it would have been funny, but... <laughs> <laughs> I forgot he was in it for a moment, yeah. No, he's not He's not in it. <laughs> no, no, I forgot he was supposed to be in it and was replaced by... Um, <laughs> yeah, Tig Notaro. Tig Notaro, that's right. And he, he, like, all his seeds were shot, but they, like, did you <laughs> removed him? <laughs> Which is insane. All right. My number five is the aforementioned Tomorrow War. Um... Which I just remember being, like, just complete trash. It has, like... Tomorrow War was better than Army of the Dead. I'm gonna fight you here. (laughs) No way. No way. No way. There's so much goofy shit in it. Uh, Tomorrow War had one enjoyable goofy sequence, and they're all, like, falling. The rest of it is just, like, totally bland (laughs) crap. It sucks. I hated watching this. I thought it was It just kept going as well, and then everyone survives, which was really unexpected. (laughs) I... (laughs) I hate... I hate Chris Pratt. He sucks. He's, He's, like, the least engaging screen presence. Yeah, he's terrible. That's 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 one thing that Ari the Dead does have over it, which is I, I do like Dave Batista. I think he's pretty engaging. I don't think he's doing like a great job in Army of the Dead. Is he even in that's Army of the Dead? <laughs> yeah, he's the main character. Okay. <laughs> that's how much it registered with me. <laughs> he's like, you know, the material sucks, but he's it's still nice to look at Batista. I like Batista. And you know, I like Chris Pratt. I hate watching him. He's terrible at this kind of like self-serious role. He's terrible at, uh, what's the word, acting? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It has two. It has exactly two moments stretched across its like you know three hour runtime. <laughs> one one bit at which um, yeah, all the, all the people who are traveling to the future for some reason the the people in the future suck at getting the place where they're going correctly. So it just leads to all these casualties of people just like falling <laughs> out of the sky and like onto the street, which is pretty funny. And the, the part that stuck with me the most is just like the bizarre ending where it's like just the American flag waving and just Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt it's like he's like improving a monologue about like I will do whatever it takes to protect my family. It's like okay, buddy. So that that was enjoyable. The rest of the movie uh, sucks, and I hate it. Do you, have, do you have anything? Do you have anything to add to that? No. Okay. What are we up to? Number five? No, yep, number five. Number five. Uh, I've got the Princess Switch 3. Hmm. That one is not on my list. Because I did sort of enjoy it, so... We did discuss it last week. Um, I would I would say all the films I've listed so far, their positions are not 
like securely fastened in place so they could all switch around mm. as it were um but yeah pretty pretty bland it's it's kind of so enjoyable but it's <laughs> probably better than army of the dead i don't know why i had it that way around but there you go you did i made the list like five minutes ago what the hell man so did i <laughs> this one i forgot to do until the last second are you ready for my number four? Mm-hmm. Okay. My number four is a film I don't think you've seen, which is uh, The Suicide Squad by James Gunn. I have not seen that, no. Uh, which is just a, uh, it's a blindly unenjoyable mess of um, unfunny, you know, edgy humor, terrible action sequence that are all, like, really severely underlit. Terrible performances. <laughs> it's just terrible. I hate the vibe of the film. I hate the, like... Well, we're all just monsters, aren't we? Like, kind of, kind of vibe. I, I, I hate James Gunn. This movie sucks. Um, I hate that I wasted so much time watching it. <laughs> I mean, it also another instance where the fact that it was relatively acclaimed made me hate it even more. So that is the Suicide Squad. Though I will admit that it is better than the other Suicide Squad movie, which is one of the worst films that's ever been made. So. <laughs> All right, what you got for number four? My number four is Love Hard. You already discussed that. Mm, um, I don't really have anything to add to it. But, um... But, yes. <laughs> no, never mind. Moving on. No, you gotta say it now. <laughs> Um, no, I was going to try and summarize the, the discussion about the racial politics, but I won't. <laughs> it's okay. The way, okay, I'll say it, I'll say it, I'll say it sort of like, uh, cryptically. Not cryptically, mm. but, um. Crypto, cryptocurrency league. Cryptocurrency league, <laughs> thank you. Um, uh, the way this film deals with the issue of the emasculation of the Asian male in Western culture is very funny. Mm. That's what I'll say. I agree. Also, it is funny that, like, the, you know, hot guy is supposed to be a an Asian Asian guy, too, but he could, he passes his white. Yes. It's kind of, like, yes. subliminally suggesting that, you know, the guy who looks more stereotypically Asian is also less attractive, so. Yes. Anyway. That's stuff about Wolf Harb. Uh, we're up to your number three. My number three. It is... Uh, the Scary of 61st, which is uh, <laughs> a film directed by one of the Red Scare, the, that shitty podcast ladies that one of my friends induced me to watching. Uh, and and I, I do want to tell a funny story about, about this friend and, and that podcast, which he used to be a fan of. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> he basically stopped being a fan after he went to uh, one, of his, one of their live, live shows in, in New York. And he was the uh, only uh, black person there. <laughs> <laughs> Which may be not surprising, but I do think it's funny. Uh, anyway, this movie, uh, it's it wants to be this, like, uh, sort of mix between... I mean, is it a fucking, like, um, Eyes Wide Shut reference, which which sucks? But it wants to be, like, it wants to be that, like, halfway between, like, a like 70s Dario Argento film and, uh, you know, a, a hyper-on-wine movie about Jeffrey Epstein. And uh, it's it's incompetent both at the you know more like um, satiric or comedic angles of, of its a shitty story and also the horror side of it as well. 
and I thought it was absolutely insufferably bad, and uh, I hate, I hate it, I hate that podcast, and um, that's pretty much it. So that's it. What's your number three, bro? Um, my number three is uh, the woman in the window. Hmm. That movie has some like funny stuff in it, so I could I couldn't rig it that well. <laughs> I don't remember the funny stuff in it. I remember it just being pretty tedious to get through. It's very generic, but I loved I loved how uh, weird the performance of like the kid was. <laughs> oh god, yeah, the kid from the White Lotus. Yeah, that kind of raises it a notch for me. Who kind of reminds me of um, uh, what's that guy who said Bonnie and Clyde in that episode of uh, Star Trek for the Rock Kids Forever? You know what I'm talking about? No. Anyway, it doesn't matter. All right, let's keep on keep on going. What's what's my number two? Is that the question? Yeah. What's your number two? My number two is Last Night in Soho, which is uh, very very shitty. I thought it was. I I I, I really. What if it wasn't a film that I knew that I would talk to you about at some point? I would have walked out of the theater probably. I uh, felt nothing but pain when I was watching it. So I, I I liked it more than you did clearly because I ranked it much higher. Um, <clears throat> and I actually think the first half is like okay. I was like, this isn't great, but I'm 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 happy to go along with this. I yeah, thought this the lead girl's okay. performance was so annoying that. I mean, I agree that, but... It kind of sucked whatever positive vibe might have come out of it. Um, and I, th- I think there's a germ of potential in the idea in that, um, you know, this 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 young woman who fetishizes the 60s, who represents nostalgia. <laughs> um, what? She, she gets to access this portal, which takes her back to the actual time frame, but then she has to deal with, like, the ugly underbelly that you don't see in nostalgic portraits of the time period. But just the idea that you're kind of stuck with with that portal and you have to live with the totality of the period, not just the sliver that you like, is interesting. But I think. The, the 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 problem is is that it's not it's not a it's not a portal. That's that's what makes it rough. It's just like a weird vision that she has. Like, well, I was just using that to describe what happens in yeah, the film. Yeah, but, it, but it, she, that's not what she, I, like she just like kind of like watch. It's like she's watching a bunch of movies, you know. Like she dreams her way there. Yeah. She's not really there. That's that's what, that's what's up. The thing is, like you know, again, this is another film that feels like it's going for kind of a, a Giallo or, or Dario Argento vibe, you know. Mm. But clearly, Wright is completely incompetent at creating something as disoriented as, as any of Argento's films because he's not like a, a maniac like Argento is, you know. It's 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 his cinema is so um, undreamlike, you know. I I would agree there, yeah. Um, but one other point in its favor, I think, is the the very much uh, to repeat my uh, word choice on Keep point casting of um, middle aged British men as bogeymen. Mm. I thought they were well yeah, cast, whatever. but whatever. I agree with you when we discussed this previously that um, when they turn into like actual like faceless bogeymen, looks like shit. It's, it's less effective. <laughs> like. It's, it's, it loses that kind of um, inherent menace that they possess just with their phenotype. <laughs> okay, so some uh, phrenology here, bro. <laughs> um, whatever. Maybe, maybe absolutely blows. I hated every second of it. What's your number two? I think my number two is your bottom. Hmm. 
We'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it is, in fact. Hmm. We'll see. It is a little movie called Inside. <laughs> I believe the full title is Bo Burnham's Inside, but yes. <laughs> um, I'm assuming that's on your list? It is, my, it is on my list. Okay, then time for your number one. Right, well, uh, I'm going to do something a little controversial right now. Mm-hmm. And I actually have a tie for my bottom one. What? <laughs> I know. This is not permissible. <laughs> I do not agree to this. It's too late. It's too late. Now, I will justify myself as thus in that inside, kind of a film. This other film is also kind of a film. So I think together they make one film. All right. Well, then my list is not complete because I've only got kind of a film. I've like got nine and a half films on my list. No, no. It, it, maybe you can count as a full film. That's fine. No, I, I don't subscribe to this. Okay, whatever. I'm still doing it. So my uh, tied worst film of 2021 is Bo Burnham's Inside and also a short film called The Simpsons in plus Anniversary. <laughs> okay, well, obviously The Simpsons doesn't count. So your bottom is inside. <laughs> now my bottom is across. Is you can talk between. about The Simpsons right now if you like, but your okay, bottom is see, inside. Let's see. That, that's the worst thing period that i watched this year the simpsons thing yeah it's like watching a loved one like get mutilated in front of you i think <laughs> it, it it filled it filled my heart with pain <laughs> was this that um, fashion thing no it was the there was the one about disney plus where like they're at the bar and and oh Homer fuck gets, yeah no i yeah i agree that that was the worst thing that, that happened in 2021 yeah maybe. yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, was the, that was the most miserable experience I've had in my entire life, maybe. <laughs> was that four minutes? <laughs> um, but anyway, inside, yeah, just a, just a god-awful, uh, self-indulgent, bloated piece of shit from an artist who has nothing interesting to say. And the only thing he seems to know how to do is crawl even more up his own ass. Uh, I detested every, every frame of inside. Um, and I wish, I, I wish we hadn't watched it. <laughs> Actually, because we didn't even end up releasing the podcast episode where we talked about it, so it was all. Oh, did we right. not? <laughs> no. You're right. We didn't. We watched that for no reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it's it's one of the worst uh, things I've experienced in my life. It's better. It's better with you. So yeah, I, I mean, we do need to talk about the fact that we did watch this for a special in which we um, surveyed the works of both um, Bo Burnham and Pete Davidson. We surveyed the works of Bo Burnham, Pete Davidson, and each other. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that part. Um, <laughs> I forget about that part. <laughs> we should talk about this episode. Uh, we should no, list no. everything that we did for this episode very quickly, right? No, 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 no. Leave it, leave it. Just leave it as phantom whispers, you know? All right, fine. <laughs> you have to sign up for the Patreon and start begging us. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it, it clearly the best, best podcast we've ever recorded. <laughs> I'll say that, that my response to that film was colored by the other films that I watched for that podcast. Mm. One of which was not a film, but Pete Davidson's stand-up special and also Bo yeah, Burnham's stand-up was special was much more enjoyable than, than either of the Bo Burnham yeah things. yeah but but Bo Burnham's stand-up special was uh, yeah, awful. awful and worse than Inside no I, I liked Inside less than I liked that stand so I I I, I found Inside an, a step up from that so I didn't have as negative a reaction mm. as you did um 
but a lot of it was like the fact that it's this indulgent thing um, about his struggle and his um, solidarity and, and that's, that's predicated on a lie. mental illness and suicidal ideation and whatever. And then like the fact that he actually, you know, would have been locked down with it with his family, with his girlfriend his, and with his, his, his child. GF and his dog. No, he doesn't have a child. He's a dog. Which is fine. Like you can still have obviously mental struggles, even if you're, you know, superficially yeah, have a happy family. The fact that you're being but, dishonest about it is so like weird. Yeah, you don't acknowledge it. Like you, you paint it as, as if you're like this lone person in a cabin or something. And, and, and the fact that like you know if this isn't even his fucking. It's like his guest house. Like yeah. <laughs> what the hell, man? Like he wasn't trapped in there. Like <laughs> uh, it, it, it annoys me. If you're gonna make something that's where you're trying to genuinely be confessional, it helps if you're actually confessional. This is like it's like Louis C.K. mode, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway, what was the worst thing that you watched for 2021? Uh, number one on my list is a castle for Christmas. <laughs> worse than inside, really? Honestly, yes. Be, be just purely as a viewing experience. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't. I don't buy that. Uh. Well, it certainly wasn't my number one. <laughs> and this is a surprise, and we we already talked about this on the previous episode. But I'm 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 predisposed to enjoying this kind of crap, which is kind of why I was so excited to watch it for the the Christmas special. So the fact that I found this like physically unwatchable, or as close to physically unwatchable as any other film I watched that year, mm. uh, I think earns at the bottom spot. Because I didn't, I didn't have an issue getting through inside, even if I was like enraged for parts of it. I had a lot of trouble getting through inside. <laughs> but I remember having uh, profound difficulties understanding how time was working while I was watching A Castle for Christmas. <laughs> I also felt that for A Castle for Christmas, but it had a junky quality that I kind of enjoyed. <laughs> and we, we talked about this, but I, I enjoyed how like Urzads and Small Town Scotland was like it's. it's yeah, racial diversity and you know lack of homophobia. <laughs> I don't know. And I thought I thought Brooke Shields like her her like crazy eyes made it engaging in a way where I was like, oh, this is a strange like vibe, you know. I think if if Carrie uh, Elways was just American in it, I would have enjoyed it like ninety percent more, maybe. <laughs> just doing his actual accent. Yeah, alternatively. Oh, sorry. Yeah, he's not American, is he? He's British. No, he's English. He's English. Um, yeah, yeah, if he was British or American, it, it probably would have been better. Well, he was doing a British accent. <laughs> well, that was that was all the shit that we watched this year. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of other films that I also hated, so it would draw to your list. Um, but you know, whatever. Let's hope that you know next year when we do this, there won't even there won't even be a bottom for us to do. It'll only be good movies. <laughs> Um. Anyway, all right. So uh, next thing we're gonna do now is we're gonna do five films that were critically acclaimed, but we couldn't couldn't be fucked to watch. All right. Mm-hmm. From disinterest because we dislike the director that made them, or because they looked bad. Uh, these are five films that you know critics raved about that'll probably maybe will win some awards. That we don't care, right? Mm-hmm. About at all. All right. Maybe there'll be some films that appear on um, <laughs> both of our top ten lists of this. We'll see. <laughs> um, all right. Are you ready? Do you want to start this one? 
So the first critically acclaimed film that I neither watched nor wanted to watch is, or was, mm -hmm. or is, Licorice Pizza. Mm, I'm going to go see that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not a particular fan of Paul Thomas Anderson, and uh, no. this did not appeal to me whatsoever. That's okay. And also, I'm not racist, so I'm not watching it. Well, uh, as a racist and a pedophile, I'm going to watch it watch it again and again. Um, all right, your, your first choice. My first choice is uh, Jane Campion, who, you know, uh, you, I haven't seen any of her films, but I would say I'm posit positively inclined towards. I would be happy to watch any of her movies, except for this one, because it looks really <laughs> boring and uninteresting. That one is called Power of the Dog. Uh, I don't like Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I understand why. Again, I understand why I was critically acclaimed, but it looked like it would be very boring. So I uh, died not to watch it. My next film is Macbeth. Hmm. You're not a big Cohen guy, so not surprising. Not particularly. And this, uh, this looked like prestige digital black and white. Garbage. Mm. I don't know if it was digital, but it had that kind of digital black and white look, mm. which I dislike. And, I would uh, like to see Macbeth, but I have not. Did not interest me. So there you go. All right. My uh, second one is uh, Sean. What's his name? Sean Burns. Is that right? Sean Baker. Sean Baker. That's right. Uh, new film, Red Rocket, which I don't... I, Cinema continues to sound not interesting to me. <laughs> so that's, that's all I got to say about that. I think Tangerine, other films, Tangerine would be the one that I would watch. But um, the Florida Project looked like absolute garbage. This one sounded mar marginally more interesting, but you got to trust your gut on these things. And my gut says, no, thank you. <laughs> what do you got? What's your third uh, film that you can't, couldn't be bothered with? Uh, it's a film that you've already mentioned. And that mm. film is The Green Knight. Yep. <laughs> so I would expect to have a similar reaction to yours, and therefore I didn't bother. Mm. Nice. Uh, my next one is Mike Mills's Come On, Come On, which looked excessively twee. So, I just what is that watching. exactly? It's a black and white. <laughs> <laughs> movie where Joaquin Phoenix has to like take care of his nephew or something. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, never mind. It sounded uh, inseparable. So thank you. Yeah. Also, he's married to Miranda July, who directed one of my least favorite films of all time. So, but also a film that you like. That's true. Actually, two films that I like. There you go. Two out of three ain't bad. No. Uh, my next film is a film that I predict will appear on uh, a certain. List of mm. ten films that you'll be revealing well, shortly. We will see. We shall see. That film is Dune. Mm. <laughs> Fair enough. But wait, I thought you were a huge fan of uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I am uh, a huge uh, Denny Villeneuve <laughs> skeptic. Whoa. Um, especially just actually primarily because he's French Canadian and he has like a French accent. Like that's just well. <laughs> We're getting into even four like phrenology stuff. <laughs> Who would be French Canadian? Like it's just it's just not. A right. Denny Villeneuve. 
This is not right. It's not right. Speak French, that's fine, but have a Canadian accent. You can't. You can't have a French accent. I feel the same way about. Uh, I feel the same way about Australia. So. That's that's fine. I I agree. If that's yeah. the trade-off, if we dismiss all Australian content and all French Canadian content, that's fine with me. No deal. Um, but I, I mean, it's kind of disingenuous that I put this on the list, but it's more about the fact that I had no desire to see it in 2021. Mm. But I do intend one day to see it just so I can dismiss it. <laughs> uh, that sounds very healthy of you. And that will be in, in years to come because um, I intend to read the book first. Oh, as someone who has read the book multiple times, we'll talk about it later. Okay, moving on. All right, uh, my next one is Coda, which is just some Sundance trash. I don't know why people liked it so much. Every movie that's... There's been no good movies that have premiered at Sundance. I think I can safely say that. What have you got against deaf people? <laughs> uh, that I I have it against them that they make bad movies about them. So <laughs> Really, I'm an ally. Was it directed by a deaf person? <laughs> Probably not. No. It's about, you know, a hearing person who's in a family of deaf people. So yes. It's like, okay. Yeah, fuck that. Anyway. My last film is a film that I predict will also appear on a, uh, a shortly mm. to be revealed top ten list of yours. The French oh, Dispatch. Mm, but you love Wes Anderson. <laughs> but I love Wes Anderson. What am I talking about? Take it off. Yeah. No, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, madam. Is that it, or do you have one left? I just said it. Yes, madam. Nah, just kidding. Just kidding. My last one is a film called The Last Daughter, which didn't look good, but it was great. What's that? It's like a Maggie Gyllenhaal-directed joint I don't know. It didn't. It didn't seem interesting, but it was critically acclaimed. It's based on what's that? What's that bitch? What's that? Who's that Italian bitch who's written all those books? <laughs> you know, what I'm talking Dante, Elena Ferrante, or whatever. Yeah, whatever. It's based on one of her short stories. I've I've always thought her books sounded terrible, so added to the vibe of me not wanting to watch it. Let's. Mm. All right. Um... Shall we continue? Let's go. Next on the docket, we have five films that uh, were not from 2021 that we discovered this year that made an impression on us. Mm-hmm. How's that sound? Uh, I guess I'll start with this one because you did the last one. How's that sound? Okay. How's that sound? How does that sound? Great. Sounds great. All right. My first one is, it's kind of a strange film to call a discovery, but I was not expecting that much out of this, but I ended up really enjoying it, which is uh, the second Die Hard movie called Die Hard 2. Uh, I think it's some place it's called Die Harder. Yeah, I think in Australia uh, it was called Die Harder, actually. <laughs> uh, and I have to say, uh, I thought this film was pretty great. <laughs> it's just like, it, you know, it, it is kind of a sequel that's just the first movie, but... In an airport. It just cranks like the... Yeah, it, but it just cranks like the violence up to 11. <laughs> it has all these like weird elements that are like, you know, it, it's a product of it being topical, but it's basically about like a right-wing attempt to... <laughs> it's kind of do a coup in the United States, and uh, you know I'm a sucker for that sort of thing. So mm. I, I I was I was pretty into it. Um, 
I enjoyed the villainous performance, uh, especially, and you know, it's, it's still the era where Bruce Willis cared about things, uh, and I think he's pretty pretty enjoyable in this. Um, there's a scene where he stabs a dude to death with an icicle, which is pretty like crazy. So that's that's something that I enjoyed about it. It just feels like a more extreme version of Die Hard, where you, you know you have the idea of what Die Hard is, right? Where it's like, okay, you know, it's gonna be this level of violent, this level of like you know whatever. And it just, like, cranks everything up to, like, you know, 10 or 11. And mm. uh, I, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, you know, Rudy Har- Harlan's a pretty solid uh, journeyman director, and I think he's perfect for this kind of material. And, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. So it's Die Hard 2. Okay, my first discovery, and um, similarly I'm going to qualify all these discoveries by saying these aren't, like, obscure films or anything, just films I hadn't watched before, which mm. I was yeah, uh, yeah. pleasantly surprised by. Mine are not, my, none, none of mine are particularly obscure. And that film is The Last of Sheila. Mm. Um, a 1973 film directed by Herbert Ross and written by Anthony Perkins and Stephen Sondheim, the only screenwriting mm. credits Sondheim ever had. And yes, I did watch this in the wake of his passing, but I'd always wanted to watch it. This just... Uh, so it counts, it counts. It counts, it counts. Yeah, <laughs> I was there first. Um... <laughs> But yeah, I did, I did watch it in tribute. Um, I did fork out the money to rent it. And uh, very, very enjoyable murder mystery. Mm. And it's very clear that uh, Ryan Johnson took great inspiration from it for Knives Out. Mm. For his also enjoyable murder mystery. But I, I, I highly recommend it. Um, it's got a great... Yeah, I, gotta, I gotta tell you. It's got a great cast. I'm sure I would enjoy it. And uh, it's a very fun film that I could imagine re-watching, especially on television. Which doesn't exist anymore functionally. It seems like it'd be a good holiday film. Yep. And I watched it in the holidays and it was great. Another discovery I made this year was a film called Godzilla Final Wars. Mm. And this this is a extremely strange Godzilla film that Godzilla barely factors into except for the last like hour or so. Um, but it just has all sorts of like ridiculous and goofy outlets that I think are you know, most, most Godzilla films suffer from the sin of being, like, too serious and too dull. And this one is just, like, just turns all this crazy shit up to 11. And, uh, I don't know, I, I have a, a huge fondness for that particular kind of, like, Y2K aesthetic that this film indulges into an extreme degree. <laughs> and, um, I don't know, it's just very wild. <laughs> uh, and, uh, the movie ends with Godzilla's loser son convincing him not to murder the remaining like 10 humans which is pretty funny <laughs> so i i enjoyed the hell out of this movie it's got still a final wars <clears throat> uh, i watched my first uh, jacques rivette film this year and i um, and your second and your third and your fourth indeed but the first was celine and julie go boating mm. or in french this is your cue by the way celine et julie uh, something about Go uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Julie <Go-Bauti. laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, uh, and this is a film that I missed watching in cinemas. Um, narrowly. <laughs> by, by 30 some years. <laughs> no, no. It was being, it was being shown in Australia. At oh, come Australia on. I, I like my joke. That was a good joke. That was a good joke. It was, it was, but now we can move on. Um, Let's talk about it some more. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like a few months, maybe maybe it was like 2020 that it was on. No, no, it, mm. probably pre-pandemic actually. It's probably 2019. 
And I remember um, thinking, oh, I'll go and see that today. But I hadn't like bought the ticket yet or anything because it wasn't in stone or anything. And um, it just came to the afternoon. And I was like, yeah, I can't be bothered. It's like three hours, whatever. And having now watched it on my television set, I, I really regret that decision because I think this would be a great film to see in cinemas. It's also a great film to see on the small screen, but I think the cinematic experience would work particularly well um, and heighten the experience. Mm-hmm. I thought it was an absolute masterpiece. And you haven't seen it yet, right? I have not seen it yet. Despite the fact that I own it on two different editions. <laughs> <laughs> I think the less said about it, the better. I'm sure you've read about it, but nonetheless. I gotta watch it. I gotta watch you it. You should watch it. All right, you ready to hear my... Uh, this is a film you also watched this year. Mm. It's it's a film that stars everyone's favorite, Sam Hung. <gasps> and Jackie Chan. <gasps> and... The Lucky Stars. <laughs> <laughs> now, you might be thinking, oh, this is going to be, um, <laughs> what's the first one called? Winners and Sinners? Yeah. Because that's the only good one, right? That's right. Well, I'm here to tell you that, in fact, I've chosen the second one. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> my Lucky Stars. Um, and I, okay, I, I'll, uh, I, I will qualify it thusly which is by expectations for it were greatly diminished when you watched it and suggested that it was a pale imitation of the first one that upped the rape joke and rape content quite a bit uh, from the first movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, that while that is true, so that, that diminished my expectations significantly, but um, it also contains, I think, some of the absolute, absolute best uh, fight scenes in both Samo and Jackie's entire careers. Uh, there's a long sequence where Jackie is wandering through a haunted house that is absolutely exquisite. This is like, that's like the peak of cinema right there, you know? It's one of his and, great uh, set pieces, but it just makes you think, oh, I wish this was just affixed to like a boilerplate Jackie Chan uh, uh, cop film uh, or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I kind of like how dire the rest of the movie is it makes it it elevates it to some degree but the last yeah like the last like 30 minutes in which the lucky stars barely feature at all or <laughs> that is some that of the is most funny. sublime <laughs> some of the most sublime filmmaking that has ever been put to, to cinema screen so uh and you know what I, I obviously all the rape stuff with the lucky stars is awful but it, it does have some abusing bits like the the bit where they're all ordering breakfast i thought was very funny <laughs> You do have to appreciate the fact that they actually like verbalize how rapey it is in the film. Yeah. <laughs> unashamedly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's my lucky stars. What's what's your next one? Um, my next one, because I was uh, you know trying to fill out this list earlier. <laughs> I have another Jacques Rivette film, uh, and it's out that's... one. Mm, I also had trouble filling up this list, so. <laughs> Um, out one is the, how many hours is it? Is it like 12? 12, yeah, 13, something like that. 13 hour extravaganza. And it has uh, large stretches of it that will test anyone's patience. Mm. But I'm a patient man and I stuck through it. Mm. And uh, certainly tested my patience. <laughs> oh yeah, you haven't seen it all. You've seen like half of it, right? Yeah, I've seen about half of it. So, so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I do. 
<laughs> Those first episodes are a struggle to get through. Yeah, but it's quite it's quite a it's quite a sort of daring opening because it does not like yeah. invite you in whatsoever. It's like that. No. You're in this like rehearsal. Yeah, you're gonna watch them <laughs> scream at each other for an hour and a half. <laughs> and the camera's barely gonna move or cut, you know. If you don't already have a taste for experimental theatre, and I don't particularly, then you certainly won't have a taste for like experimental no. like theatre yeah. rehearsals. <laughs> yeah. But um, all all is forgiven. I think I think it's it's more than the sum of its parts. Uh, you'd hope it would be at least over twelve hours. Mm. Um, it is one of the most astonishing sort of cinematic experiences I, I've had, and I had it sitting at home watching on TV, so that's a testament. Yeah, I, I gotta watch it. Um, yeah, so certainly, certainly Jacques Rivette was one of the most um, invigorating discoveries of the year for me. <laughs> this, this next one's kind of a cop-out for me, because we did an entire episode cop about out? it. Yeah, cop-out. No, I didn't watch cop-out. Uh, I watched it, we did an entire episode about it, so like I said, kind of, maybe, maybe a bit of a cop-out. Cop out. Uh, and it's a film that we watched together, okay? Or not yep. together. We watched it. You also watched it for the podcast. It's called Chilly Seeds of Winter. Mm. It's uh, Joan Micklin Silver's third film with John Hurd, who uh, we just watched his bit in The Sopranos, which is extremely depressing. I haven't um, got up to that. It's good stuff. He's in the first season. Like, it won't take you long to get to his appearance. Mm. Uh, I think this is just a, a wonderfully uh, and quite disturbing film that I think, um, I don't know, I just thought it was a, a, a very uh, powerful and lucid depiction of, uh, of a total lunatic, basically. <laughs> uh, and it has just this wonderful, sustained, snowy mood um, that really works works extremely well for me. And it has it's anchored by two great performances by uh, John Hurd and uh, you know Paul Schrader's wife, whose name I can't remember, <laughs> Mary Beth Hurd, I think, something like that. Was she married to John Hurd? No, she's married to uh, Paul Schrader. Why was she called Hurd as well? I don't, no, no, Are it's, they both called Hurd. That can't be hurt. Right. Hurt. Ah, I think that's her name. Yeah, Mary Beth Hurt. Yeah, that was right. All right, great. Well, what's your next one? What do I have here? Christmas in July by uh, Preston Sturges. Never seen one single film of his. The best thing about Christmas in July, uh, which I thoroughly enjoyed on its own terms anyway, but the best thing about it, it's like 65 minutes long or something. Mm. So. That's that's pretty that's pretty good. I was glad to discover that it's pretty short. <laughs> it's nice. good film I do like Preston Sturges, so this is like an, a sort of um, underseen, I think, film of his. But um, I've watched uh, zero of his films, so something about coffee. I barely remember it, but it was pretty good. Okay. Um, my last one is the Lucio Fulci film City of the Living Dead, uh, which has this great, uh, strange mood and has made me want to watch all of his um, films, pretty much. Uh, it has this absolutely incredibly disgusting film where a woman basically vomits up all of her guts. <laughs> this, like, extremely, like, long take of her just, like, throwing up, like, 
it's really it's so disgusting it's like hard to describe like, you know it says i like i i knew that this scene was in this movie before i watched it and even when i saw it i was like oh my god this is just it just keeps on going they just keep on throwing up so uh it's extremely gross uh enjoyably off a uh, piece of italian horror so that's that's my last one and that's all of our discoveries except for i guess your last one <laughs> Which is? Mm, yeah. Mm. Sorry, what? What's, what's your last one? <laughs> uh, okay. Sorry, I was just putting my cheese away. <laughs> what, what film are you talking about? <laughs> City of the Living Dead. Oh, yeah, cool. My last film, uh, according you. to this list, is... Uh, oh, I'm sorry you take my headphones off and do something else. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't want the cheese to go bad. I had half a wheel of brie left. Uh, the film that is last on my list is Vampire. I just discovered it. No one else has heard of this. I have not heard of it. Oh, you By mean a little the... director called uh, Carl Theodore Dreyer. H.R. Geiger or something like that? Carl Theodore Vampire. Vampire. Yeah, vampire. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. It's sort of a vampire... Power fantasy. <laughs> mm. Van well, power fantasy. What? <laughs> it's got really good special effects. Some of the stuff I was wondering how they actually achieved that, which is a testament. Well, I'm sure if you uh, read film. about it, you could find out. It's a testament for a film produced in uh, 1930, uh, 20, 30. Mm. 29? 20, 30, 20... I don't know. When's it from? It's pretty early. I don't know. Fuck you. Fuck you. All right, let's find out. Okay. Uh, 2019. Sorry, 2018. Mm. So it was an action role-playing game developed by... Uh, Don't Nod Entertainment and published by Focus Home okay. Interactive. <laughs> okay, bro, come on, come on, come on. What's the first Wikipedia entry? It can't be wrong. All right, I'll have to type Dryer next to it as well. Vampire Dryer. 1932. Close enough. Uh, Whatever, what's your next choice? I don't have any more choices, though. I did my last one. Wow. That means you can go first with the top ten. No, we we have more lists to do. What are you talking about? Are we finishing with the top ten? Yeah, right. obviously. Okay. Anyway, let's see. We're moving on to our special award of the night. All right. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I guess I'll just do this. No, I guess I guess it's your turn to do it. So you go ahead. My special award, my unique award, the award that only I give. Yes. What is, is what you give, but uh, <laughs> worst score. Worst score. Okay, let's hear yep. it. <laughs> And the winner is it's dude <laughs> little Johnny Greenwood for the power of the dog. Wow, it felt very like um, would be avant garde kind of string lines, but I found it uh, somehow both jarring and dull. So there you go. Mm. Felt very pretentious. 
which is, I guess, what you get when you hire Johnny Greenwood. So you get when you make a movie that is called Power of the Dog. Maybe. All right. Uh, you're going to hear my special award? I'd love to. Okay. My special award. But I can't. I'm actually going to get away. A couple, a couple of films. Okay. And it is something I think was emblematic of films that I watched this year, which is there are several films that I went into not thinking they were going to be enjoyable at all and ended up enjoying them quite a bit. All right. So these are my awards for the most surprisingly enjoyable films of 2021. Wait, you're awarding multiple films? Yeah. Fuck. (laughs) I could do that. Breaking all the rules today. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not breaking any rules. You don't give uh, enough. <laughs> and my list for these is Without Remorse, which you talked about as being one of the worst ones of the year, <laughs> really? which I thought, was, I thought was pretty enjoyable, despite thinking it looked terrible. I got James Wan's Malignant, which was uh, extremely entertaining. I got Spiral from the Book of Saul, which uh, was also surprisingly entertaining. And finally, uh, I got little Steven, Stevie Spielberg's West Side Story, which I was not particularly looking forward to watching, and which I ended up really, really liking a lot. So that's my award for the most surprisingly enjoyable films of the year. Wow. All right. Nice. All right. So, uh, now we're going to do a uh, unique uh, <laughs> list that only only we do, which is we're going to list some films that we wish we had watched for uh, this episode of the podcast, that before we made our uh, year-end list, all right? Films that we would have liked to have seen. Films that we wish we had watched, all right? And because uh, you started with the special awards, I'll start here. Does that sound? Sound good? Uh, I'll take your silence as an ascent. <laughs> Hello? Hello? What's, what's going on, bro? <laughs> you know, the one downside to selecting apple is my champagne fruit. Mm. is that it seems to react with the carbonation and exacerbate it Mm. so that the two times that I topped up my glass when it had apple inside it, it overflowed. You there? Mm. Yeah, I'm here. I was ready. You just, like, zoned out. No, I walked (laughs) to refill my champagne. Fuck fuck off, bro. All right, we're going to do five films we wished we had watched right now. Ba-da-ba-ba-da. All right. Shut, shut the fuck up. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> My number one is a film that you expressed uh, a non-desire to watch, <laughs> which was uh, Licorice Pizza, which I'm going to go see tomorrow. <laughs> right, what's your what's your next? What's your first one? My number one with a bullet is uh, Yusuke Hamaguchi's Drive My Car. Of course. Mm. That is my uh, number two with a bullet. Though I will say I, I did have the opportunity to watch it because it recently leaked online. So, 
Well, it is coming to but theaters I, in Australia in 2022, so I'm looking forward so to watching maybe it'll it. Make, maybe it'll make your best of 2022 list. <laughs> maybe it'll make your best of 2022 list. Undoubtedly. Yeah. <laughs> what if it sucks? <laughs> I, I can't imagine it would suck to the extent where it won't make my top 10 list, given the few amount of films I tend to watch each year. From that year, at least. What? What's your uh, what's what's another one? What's what's another one of your films you wish you had watched? Your next um, one, I struggled bro. to complete this list, to be completely honest. Um, but my second choice is a film that you've seen. I'm not sure if it will appear on one of your lists, but it might. And that film is Benedetta by mm. Paul Verhoeven. Uh, I have seen it. It will not appear on any list. There you go. My next one is the Adam Curtis film series called Can't Get You Out of My Head. <laughs> really? I take, it, I take it you're not a fan of Adam Curtis? I actually haven't seen him, um, any of his work. Well, why but, are you uh, uh, laughing then, my, my friend? I don't know. I just I, I find him funny. I uh, enjoy it. I have seen Hypernormalization and, and thought that was quite enjoyable. Even if it's, some of its arguments are pretty, uh, I don't know, silly, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the mood that he makes is pretty pretty enjoyable. And I think he has great soundtracks. So I, I, I enjoy my, my, my man, Adam Curtis. So I so, wish yeah, I my brother was telling me to watch that. But um, when I started to see like mention of him surface on social media... I uh, mm-hmm. already dismissed him in advance, which is what I tend you to love do. love your brother. If anyone mentions something, I'm like, yeah, no, not for me. <laughs> All right, what's your next one, bro? Um, I, I didn't particularly want to see this, but but I'd see it, I guess, which is uh, Paul Schrader's The Card Counter. Dude! <laughs> oh, okay, The Card Counter. But oh, I remember I you said that. you liked it, right? And it's probably going to be on one of your lists. Well, we only have one more list to do after this, so we'll see. Uh, Let's see. My next one is uh, A Pitch of Pog Wears the Thickles, Memoria. And I've enjoyed every A Pitch of Pog Wears the Thickle film that I've seen. Well, one of them. And I wish that I've seen two of his films. What's the other one? (laughs) Cemetery of Splendor. What's that? (laughs) It's a film that he directed. I don't know what to say besides that. When did you watch that? I watched it this year. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, because you were going to watch Memoria. You're like, I better watch another one. No, I... That's... I, I watched it. We, we've talked about this before. I watched it because I was trying to clear up space from my hard drive. Oh, and, yeah. yeah, sure. Uh, I selected something at random, and it was uh, Cemetery Splinter, which I thought was a great film. <laughs> okay. So. As long as you selected it at random, that's fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> But I would really like to see his new film, and uh, unfortunately, the acid eye release ske- uh, schedule that they've decided to go with the movie means I'll probably never see it. So, but it also leaked online, so I could probably watch it like tomorrow if I wanted to. Guess what? I had the same film in the same slot. So there you go. Wow, wow. Um, the one, the the I wanted to the see thing it that because makes me not want to watch it is that Total Swinton's in it. I was going to say that. That's literally <laughs> what was going to come out of my mouth because <laughs> I looked it up because I didn't know much about it beyond the fact that he directed it and then and then I saw it was his first English language film and then I saw a, a still of it and it was Tilda Swinton and I was like oh no <laughs> so <laughs> I, I had the same reaction <laughs> yeah but I, I pushed through that because I really liked Uncle Boon Me so there you go yeah yeah it, it seems like if anyone were to overcome uh 
Tilda would be him. So. And the fact that it has like a sort of sci-fi premise, I, I, that sounded intriguing to me. So. Mm. All right, my last one is one of the uh, three Hong Sang Soo films that came out this year called <laughs> The Woman Who Ran. <laughs> what about you, bro? Um, my last one is Reminiscence. <laughs> you should have watched that. I know. I know, but I didn't. <laughs> I thought about putting it on my bottom, my bottom ten list, and I was like, oh, it's kind of enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, you know what I forgot to tell you that I think you'll find funny? Hmm. The rosé that is uh, currently tippling down my throat uh, came out of a can. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What possessed you? And where did you find this can? Uh, cheapness and not wanting to have a bottle of rosé that I've never finished. <laughs> uh, I found it at the local uh, liquor store. <laughs> nice. Yeah. What about, what about you? I bought a bottle for $9. <laughs> nice. And I will finish it. Hmm. I'm well on my way, in fact. <laughs> Yikes. Um, oh, here's to you getting fired. <laughs> now, here's to me slicing off my hand in, in the flow wrap machine. In the machine. <laughs> what's, what, what, how much longer, what's the period between... Um... Okay, it's currently 3.47pm, and my shift begins at 11pm. So I can go to oh, sleep. so you'll be yeah. fucking fine. Yeah, I'll be fine. Damn, that sucks. I was hoping you get, like, completely, completely roasted. But uh, I am I am noticing signs that I <laughs> that I'm balding, which is great. <laughs> really? Yeah. See, see, it's fine to be prematurely bald. It's fine to be prematurely grey. But like, I feel like both is is a is a rough deal. <laughs> yeah, it's like a cosmic uh, joke against you. Because when you think about like the the prematurely grey icons, like Jim Jarmusch and uh, David Lynch, mm. they've got like yeah, they flowing heads head of, of hair, hair at their advanced yeah. ages. <laughs> and you've got nothing. <laughs> no. No. That's a shame. Well, my um, my uh, hair is also receding, so. So cheers to the, the bold Project A Plus boys. Yep. <laughs> anyway, what are we talking about? Who are you? It's time for the top 10 best films of the films that we watched in 2021. Top 10 best films. You want me to start or do you want to start? I would like you to start. Okay, I'll start then. My 10th favorite film is a film I don't think you'll have heard of. Or if you have, it's because I logged it on Letterboxd. <laughs> and it's one of like a number of films on my list that was ambiguously released in 2021, but I'm going to count it. It's a Sion Sono film called Red Post on Escher Street. I've not heard of. That's right. That's right. Uh, it's, it's this a uh, Sion Sano is a pretty famous uh, modern contemporary Japanese director, and this is a film that he made with an acting class that he taught, and it takes this very uh, interesting approach to its own construction, where basically it follows. It, it almost has like a panoramic view of of a uh, production of this independent film, um, and it follows all these. Um, and and he gave roles in it to like all of the actors that his know he was teaching and it follows just every like almost every facet of a production of this film like it follows all the uh, aspiring actors who are you know 
go into an open casting call. It follows the director as he you know, struggles to get over the death of a um, of a girlfriend. It follows like the the scummy producers, and uh, I thought it was really amazingly done. In this, I thought it had a very um, enjoyable approach to its own like postmodern sort of expression of, of cinema and of its own creation. And I thought it was funny and charming and it ended in a, a extremely enjoyable, um, I don't know, uh, strike for artistic empowerment. And uh, I really liked it a lot. That's called Red Post on Escher Street. Sounds good. All right, what you got? Number 10, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, is To All the Boys Always and Forever. <laughs> Uh, okay. Which was an okay entry into the To All the Boys I've Loved Before franchise, I guess. Didn't you dislike the uh, second one? The second one's bad. The third one's okay. But not as good as the first one. So it should be clear at this point that uh, I watched about 20 films this this year. So. <laughs> you watched more than that. It's like 21 at most. It's not many. Uh, my number nine is. Oh, God, I feel so tired. <laughs> I feel like life has just been getting me down recently. I feel the same. Anyway, I've watched uh, Todd Haynes's uh, documentary of the about the Velvet Underground, just called the Velvet Underground. And I thought this was a masterful evocation of the scene that the Velvets came out of and I thought it was extremely enjoyable and I really enjoyed the aesthetic that he created for the movie. I thought it was a perfect way to uh, capture the vibe of the Velvets, as it were. (laughs) And that's it. What's your number nine? My number nine is uh, Outside the Wire. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Well, you did enjoy that film more than I did. I did. I did quite enjoy it. It was a surprisingly enjoyable Netflix original uh, action thriller. If if I had watched fewer films, that would be my version of that would be uh, without remorse. So, yeah, we. I mean, we talked about this on the podcast, so I don't need to to go into detail about it. But yeah, it was it was pretty enjoyable. It was just like surprising after watching so many dire Netflix originals. Something that even like vaguely resembled a normal theatrical action film was refreshing. I did not like it. Next. My number seven of the year, or sorry, number eight of the year, is it a Belle Ferrer film, but not the one you're thinking of. Because that's 2020, right? Well, I mean, it got released kind of in 2021. Wait, so Siberia could be on my list because I didn't include it. Yeah, yeah. That would probably knock out to all the boys always and forever. Well, why don't you just do that then? Why don't you add it really quickly? No, I don't care. Who cares? But... It is his newest film called Zeros and Ones, which is this very strange thriller about Ethan Hawke wandering around uh, locked down uh, Rome. And there's like a he plays two characters, uh, a like army guy who's looking for his twin brother. Uh, the film stars no one, no other names besides him. Uh, it has this very bizarre opening that's basically a message from Ethan Hawke telling everyone about how great the movie is and then it ends also with the message out of character about him reflecting on the movie um, but I think uh, it, it just has this very it, it you know this is a movie that's just like pure vibe you know it, it like the, the the narrative is like incomprehensible 
uh, but it has a lot. It just it just feels like it's soaking up like the paranoiac energy of of uh, of the last year. And um, I don't know. I thought it was really uh, wonderfully <laughs> done. It has some of the most beautiful fuck off uh, cinematography uh, by Sean Price Williams that I've seen uh, in a film at all. So I thought it was great. And then said some real. Uh, you know, all this murk, all this confusion, all this violence, and it ends in some real uh, beautiful images of pure uh, serenity and happiness. And so I really liked it a lot. That's zeros and ones. What do you got, bro? Number eight is The Power of the Dog. Mmm. Now, this is when you convince me that I should watch it, right? Yeah, I'm going to convince you that you should watch it. I will say that even though this is my eighth best film for the year, even after having seen it, it still feels like it should go on my list of films that I that were critically acclaimed but I didn't want to watch. <laughs> list. I, I, that, I, I wanted to include uh, the Green Knight on that list for me. But. Like it really, it didn't like change that perception drastically. But I will say, I am a fan of Jane Campion from the one film of hers that I've seen which I really like, which is Sweetie. Um, and I think she survives the, the Netflix test ably. Mm. This still this feels like a uncompromised production of something that she wanted to make. It does have like that off-putting digital cinematography um, that a lot of Netflix originals have, mm. but it still looks handsome. And the fact that it was shot in New Zealand and it looks like New Zealand does actually work in service to the narrative because the landscape just has a very alien quality. So your favorite actor of all time. And I will say that one of the strengths of the film is Benedict Cumberbatch's performance. I'm not a particular fan of his acting, but I will say that, that after seeing him in this, where he is putting on an American accent, I respect how little effort that he puts into his Marvel work. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to respect that. Good respect that he's just cashing those checks. Yeah, I do. How is uh, our girl Thomasin McKenzie? She's barely in it, but she still manages to be faintly annoying at <laughs> the periphery <laughs> of the narrative. So there you go. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't quite survive the impression of this film that I had that would otherwise make me not want to watch it. I, I only watched it because... I forgot that you gave me a copy of Wheel of Fortune of Fantasy that I could have watched instead, <laughs> but I was trying to pad out my list so I at least had 20 films to assemble mm. my top 10 and bottom 10s out of. That's the power mm. of the dog. It's not bad, but not a huge fan of it. <laughs> it's your eighth favorite film of the year. That's right. Well, my seventh favorite film of the year was a film that made it on your list of critically acclaimed films that you didn't want to watch. <laughs> Which is Wes Anderson's delightful um, <laughs> uh, patisserie, uh, the French Dispatch, which I, I think is um, uh, represents a uh, positive direction in his filmography, and I'm happy to see him push boundaries uh, within his sphere. And I thought it was I thought it was great. So that's the French Dispatch. My number seven is a film that you've already mentioned on your list. And that film is The Velvet Underground, Todd Haynes' documentary about the band of the same name. Yeah. Um, like pretty much every rock documentary I've ever watched in my life that attempts to tell the story of a band as opposed to capture a moment in, in the spirit of something like Don't Look Back, 
I always find them somewhat lacking. And very often you think, I could imagine this being interesting if it was like a few TV shows, like a series on this particular era where they could really go into depth. But they just kind of have to skim over the surface of all the expected beats. And no matter how much you dress it up by trying to capture the you know avant-garde techniques of the time, it still, it still has uh, kind of a hollow feel in the end. It is stuff that I'm interested in, so I, had a, I still had a good time going through this uh, story once again, but uh, mm. I do think it's overrated. So that's The Velvet Underground. <laughs> I do not think it was overrated. I don't agree with these criticisms, so that's it. All right, my number six is a film that I'm sure will appear on your list. If you counted it, I don't know what's going on with you, bro. You already discussed this that way, but it is Siming Lang's experimental drama... Uh, days. Mm-hmm. Is that on your list? Yes. Right, then let's wait to discuss it until it comes up. Uh, number six is a film in a similar vein to the one I previously discussed, and it's called Zappa. <laughs> uh-huh. Did he get into his uh, stints as a neoliberal capitalist in um, uh, Serbia? Yes, or- not Serbia. Um Although I can't remember where. <laughs> let's see. Let's, let's find out really quickly. Yeah, it's it Czechoslovakia. There we go. Yeah, there you go. Special ambassador to the West on trade, culture, and tourism. It does cover that. One of the problems with the documentary is it's not as critical to Zappa as it should be. And it sort of leaves mm. hanging the idea that a lot of his um, lyrical content was puerile and misogynistic. And that doesn't uh, necessarily equate to rebelliousness you know sometimes misogyny is just misogyny really but i preferred it to the velvet underground docker because it was slightly less pretentious Hmm. let's see what do i got here my number five is paul schrader's the card counter which i thought was uh masterfully done what's your number five (laughs) (laughs) succinct my number five uh, <laughs> follows the theme that I've established with the previous two entries, and it's uh, Quest Love's Summer of Soul, or How the Revolution Was Not Televised. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is better than the other two because it's not so much like hamstrung by the uh, obligation to tell someone's story, mm. and it's constrained to the, the story of one particular festival. But I still think this would be better as, like, you know, 10 episodes of a TV show where you got to see more of the performances. Because mm. I think it is an interesting story. It's an amazing, like, document, the fact that it was never released up until now. Um, and there's some great performances captured in the film. But, uh, again, maybe, like, three, like a, a get-back kind of style special. Um, would have been preferable to to this, but nonetheless, mm. it's still essential viewing if you're interested in this type of music, which I am. I'm going to single out the Sly and the Family Stone performance as as uh, the best for for my money. Uh-huh. Your turn. What? Oh, my turn. Okay, let's see. Uh, my number four of the year is a film that you dismissed as <laughs> kind of getting a theme here uh, as being one that you're not particularly interested in. 
uh, but that is Diddy Villeneuve's uh, <coughs> uh, extremely uh, sublime adaptation of one of my favorite novels of all time, uh, which is called Dune, or at least an adaptation of the first part, or the, not even the well, it's the first part of the film, but it's not the it doesn't adapt the first part of the novel. It's probably like the first like I don't know like three fifths or something like that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, I thought this film did a great uh, job of establishing uh, the mood and the uh, doomed atmosphere of Herbert's book. And the I doomed it, atmosphere. Uh, a, the doomed atmosphere. Uh. And I thought it did a great job of not bogging itself down with too much exposition. It's letting you soak in the um, uh, massiveness of the visuals. Uh, and I really liked its sense of scale and the way it established, uh, very well established, uh, a sense of place. Uh, and I thought all the performances were well done. And I thought it was just, uh, it blew my expectations out of the water. And I thought it was wonderful. And that's Dune. Which you got for number four, bro. Are you finally going to get to a movie that you actually like? or? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Number four is uh, my introduction to a modern career uh, master. Uh, 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 and it comes in the form of a little film. Uh -huh. By the name of... Say it with me. Uh-huh. Introduction. Uh, in front of your face. Oh, no. Okay. The best thing about this film, similarly with uh, Christmas in July, is that it's like 66 minutes long. Love it. Mm. Love it. Yeah, me, me too. The second best thing about this film is uh, the ellipses in the narrative. Uh, which allow it to be so short. <laughs> yeah, but which are, not, which are not telegraphed. So there's like a disorienting effect that I kind of appreciated. Mm. Where you're trying to like pick up the pieces of what's happened with these people's lives since the previous scene. I agree. And uh, that, that did give a density and richness to the narrative that belies its uh, brief duration. I really liked the performances. I really liked the scenes and the cameras and the, the actings and the, the music. Was there music? I don't know. Wow, very, very articulate. And the, there was and, music. And the filmings. In fact, I think Hog Sing Su... I think Hog Sing Su even... Um, did the music himself? So. Wow! Yeah, great music. I don't remember any of it. That's that's like a uh, that's like a Clint Eastwood level of awesomeness <laughs> right there. <laughs> but it was short and sweet. Loved it. Your turn. All right. <laughs> doing doing great so far. Great podcast. Uh, <laughs> my number three is a film that I presume that you've watched, or at least I, I suspect that you have. Though I'm not, I, I haven't been convinced yet. It's called uh, Wheel of Fantasy and Fortune. What's that? Did you watch it? What's that? Did you watch it? To secret. No, no secrets, because that's not how we do it. Yeah, I did watch it. Um, okay, great. So we'll talk about it later then. <laughs> uh, what do you got? What's your number three? My number three... Mm-hmm. ...is Simon Lang's Days. Mm. That's a surprise. Get get this shit out of the way. <laughs> I, I loved everything about this film. It would have been a perfect film for me if the character sitting at the bus stop at the end didn't play the music box. <laughs> Whatever, bro. 
because the the pleasure of this film is the way that kind of very emotional relationship emerges from this like seemingly non-narrative like static art installation piece right mm-hmm. culminating in that amazing sequence the sort of one-two punch of the massage slash sex scene followed by the scene in which the music box is given to the other character and i talked about this on the episode we discarded so maybe i'll you know retrieve some of the, the points that i made uh for this podcast did we discard that one yeah we did <laughs> Which episode was that? <laughs> I think we watched Clerks for that episode or something. But okay. <laughs> okay, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Um, but yeah, we 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 talked about days, and uh, I talked about the fact that um, I really liked the way this film used time, and the character playing the music box is kind of trying to control time within the the context of the narrative Uh by prolonging that moment and he's just playing it longer than you'd ever expect to see in a conventional film um but then at the end when he's waiting at the bus stop he pulls out the music box and does it again and i just don't think that was necessary i think if i just saw him sitting at the bus stop i could have inferred that he was thinking about back at the relationship i didn't need that when when they were uh as soon as he started playing it i was fucking sobbing so i was too (laughs) But I, I think I cried. So what's I the cried big more deal? the first time. So I think I think that was overplaying what's his hand a little deal? bit, to be honest. So that's the only criticism I have for Days, which is otherwise flawless. I loved it. It's a good film. Could have been a little, uh, you know, maybe a little boring. <laughs> <laughs> so that's your criticism. We both have the criticism. I could have gone for more boring. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was, the music box should have just kind of coming back and back, you know? Should have been in the first scene. <laughs> should have been nothing about the music box. Chekhov's music box. Yeah. Are you ready to hear my number two film of the year? I'd love to. It's a film that I know that is going to be on your list. Is it there? I mean, it would be weird if it wasn't. Did I change my mind? Uh, no, no it's, it's called The Matrix of Resurrections. What? Uh Yep. What's what's your number two, bro? My number two is could it be <laughs> a little film? <laughs> as you say, I feel like, I feel like you used to do that. I used to do that way more than you. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Dude, now you've been really leading to it. I'm trying to get you not to do it by making <laughs> making it less appealing. No, no. <laughs> I'll take you doing it. I don't care. My number two is. On Minute Cinema. Come on, bro. <laughs> My number two is Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. Wow. <laughs> Directed by Ryusuke Hamaguchi. Mm, what One of my favorite uh, modern filmmakers, probably my favorite contemporary filmmaker, uh, who was now being marred by critical acceptance, and now I hate <laughs> him. So he's number two. Fuck so you, bro. Fuck, fuck you. you. Hamaguchi. What was wrong with you? Uh. Well, let's let's talk about that. I think this. I thought this film was was absolutely wonderful. I thought it was so beautiful, just just extremely well done. I thought I, there's there's literally I have no criticisms for it at all. I don't either. My only problem with the film <laughs> is that I didn't watch it in cinemas. Like it was one of those films where it starts yeah. up and I'm like, oh, I really wish I was watching this in a cinema, as I've seen his previous two films. I I thought I liked all three of the segments equally pretty much. There wasn't one of them that I preferred any more than the rest. I thought the se- the third one was perhaps the most immediately 
uh, emotionally engaging. Yeah. Uh, but the second one, I, I thought that scene where she's reading the, the sex scene in the office is so fucking funny. I agree. It's like a rare anthology film that functioned in the way like the best short story collections function from a single author. Yes. Yeah, so there's like, there's like, there's like kind of a similar vibe that each of the ones have, you know, and then they all kind of spit off of similar like themes of like, you know, regrets, past regrets and relationships that have curdled and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I thought I thought the acting was extraordinary in all three segments. I thought all I, I liked how sparse the cast were. You know, I liked how stripped down it was. And it, it almost has like a theatrical feeling at, at in the way that it was written. But it's it's pure cinema. You know. <laughs> I do I do especially like the almost unnecessary uh, sci-fi premise to the third. Yes, <laughs> I also like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, wa- I was wondering about that I was like is there like a plot inconsistency where modern technology would make that defunct or something like that so he had to come up with that like preliminary title to explain it and he didn't want to change the story well, it's kind of like I, 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 you probably could have done it you could, I could have done the exact same story without having done it but it's like you know I kind of was like oh you know you can't look at photos of what people used to look at yeah so yeah be easier to like Facebook and stuff it kind, make it kind of, yeah it kind of works yeah, just just a great film, and I just love I just love the subtlety at which all the actors, most of them were like I mean, as far as I know, were you know maybe not non professionals, but people who have only acted this in this film. Uh, I thought they were all great. So, okay, do you have any any guess at all what my number one will be? Is it Siberia? <laughs> no, it's not Siberia. <laughs> I haven't really been following along. I've been um, following along. What the hell is wrong with you, man? You're a terrible podcast host. No, I mean, I mean, I've been listening to you, but I haven't been like, like taking score. You know, I I'll, okay. I'll give you a hint. This is a film that you have not seen, and you probably will never watch. <laughs> it's part of a long-running sci-fi series that comes from the merry, the jolly nation of Japan. June. <laughs> I know. I already talked about dude. <laughs> Wait, you watched a sci-fi film from Japan? I did. Ah, oh, is it Evangelion? <laughs> it is Evangelion. Wow. So yes, my number one film of the year is Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0, Thrice Upon a Time. Wow. Uh, which is apparently going to be the concluding chapter to the Evangelion saga. Now, you know what? Uh, the first uh, hour, let's say, okay, the first 10 minutes of this film are, are dreadful, okay? The, the, it, this, the like specific cycle of movies that this takes place of I don't know. Like some of them have been pretty enjoyable, but overall, it has not been as um, masterfully emotional and experimental as the TV series or into Evangelion. So they're kind of they're enjoyable enough, but but let's say mid. And the first ten minutes are just this generic like action sequence that uses a lot of three D animation. Does not work. The film really picks up uh, after they you know it, it transitions to them just like hanging out in this post apocalyptic place that has a lot of like just just chill vibes you know uh and then you know the next uh 30 so that's like 40 45 to, to 50 minutes of good stuff uh, and then there's another 30 minute segment that i thought was also pretty pretty bland where it's just a lot of bad 3d action uh, but the last 45 minutes of this movie are so sublime that it ranks above uh any, almost anything i've seen in, in like the last two or three years i think it's just an absolutely beautiful conclusion to the series that has been so much to me 
and uh, I thought it was really profound and moving, and um, and uh, I, I don't know what to say besides that. I'm I'm really happy that I got to get I finally, uh, you know, am able to put this chapter of my life behind me in a way, and uh, I'm happy. It's it's so rare that uh, conclusions to series like this. Uh, are satisfying and I was blown away by it. So that's uh, that's that's uh, Eva Galliard 3.0 plus 1.0 thrice upon a time. <laughs> My favorite film of the year of 2021. Wow. Yeah. But what was my favorite film of the year 2021? What could it be? <laughs> Can you guess? Uh, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. No. Okay, let's see. Siberia. No. Dude. No. To all the boys I've loved before. What, what's it called? I think you would always and forever. Elsa G. <laughs> um, is that it? No. Um, Romance on the Mini. Uh, no. That was a 2020 film. <laughs> uh, Days. No. That was my number three. Uh, that's how I'm out of guesses. It is, of course. Can you believe it? I did. I did think about putting this as my number one too. So <laughs> it is the Matrix Resurrections. It's a great film. <laughs> so, you, like, uh, part of me wanted to put this as number one, but then I was thinking, like, was this really better than Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy and Days to me? Two two mm. films that could easily have gotten the top spot. Mm. But even though the provocation was tempting, even if it weren't, I should say, I think if I was honest with myself, the best experience I had watching a movie this year was probably The Matrix Resurrections. So, Which is a, a delightful film. <laughs> so everything, everything about it worked for me. It didn't feel too long, even though it was very long. <laughs> yeah, I agree. The meta stuff... Completely landed, completely happy with it. I've watched it twice now. And I've never rated um, Keanu Reeves much as an actor. Mm. But I really enjoyed his performance as like this um, hangdog, depressed uh, video game designer. His presence is, is, is perfect in, in this. Surprisingly soulful, I think. Yes. Yeah. It helps that he's like aged to the right, the right about, you know. And... Yeah, I, I really do think the meta stuff really lands. It does actually feel yeah, like I agree. Lana Wachowski was actually grappling with the idea of, like, I am returning to this franchise. Yeah, I have to make this movie, you know? Like, what, what can I do with it? And the call-out to, to Warner Brothers... <laughs> so funny. <laughs> is, ...is surprising for how blunt it is. <laughs> yeah. I'm it's amazing that they, like, let it be in the movie, you yeah. know? Like... Like, I'm sure they don't really care. They're like, if this makes money, who gives a fucking shit? But it's still, it's still like bracing to actually hear a character verbalize yeah, it. And it did not, it, and the movie has not made money, so that's it. And um, I just, I really like the, the, the way that the sequences where they're trying to like get Neo back to the old Neo by yes. um, recreating a set from the original film and like projecting the original film behind great, him. Great stuff. And the, especially combined with the fact that he looks like he's just walked off the set of John Wick, which <laughs> yes. is the franchise he's most recently been celebrated for. 
yeah. it's like, hey, no, 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 this is this is where you come from. Remember this? Snap out of it. I really enjoyed the way that that kind of plays with the construction of the film. I also really enjoyed it. I and I think I think Neil Patrick Harris is. Uh, ex- is amazing in this movie. <laughs> I thought it's one of the best performances. Like, I I had no idea that he had it in him. You know, I was just like, wow, this is incredible. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's an absolute treat for fans of the TV series Sense Eight. <laughs> the way that of which you Lana just like yourself. reassembled the cast members <laughs> into a completely different franchise. <laughs> Very pleasing. Why not? Why not? Well, I'm I'm happy that you're happy. I think uh, I think we declare that film as the unanimous uh, best film of the year. Yeah, and I certainly didn't miss the like green um, color grading of the mm. previous Matrix film, which I mean, I, I, it's iconic, I guess, but it kind of goes against the notion of like living in a realistic simulation if everything's like got this green mm. tint to say, no, it's a computer. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm glad they dispensed with that. I, f- I feel like it looks a lot better. I, 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 some people have called it dark. I didn't have any problem. I thought it actually looks quite handsome. Yeah, I thought so the action I. scenes were well yeah, done. Um, Me too. Some of it, I was. it's a little bit like, you know, the modern day syndrome of like overcranked um, shutter speed yeah. and stuff. But I think it's still handled really well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And uh, I, I think it holds up better than some of the original action sequences, which I don't think hold up very well, having watched mm. the previous uh, three entries. Mm. Which are enjoyable, but... Now, now you can declare it as the best Matrix movie. Easily. I, I still hold by my ranking of 4, 3, 2, 1. <laughs> <laughs> I, would go, I think I would go 2, 4, 1, 3. Three's pretty good. I was surprised. I was surprised about that action sequence that everyone criticizes. I'm like, it looks pretty don't good. Don't enjoy. I, I don't like it. <laughs> the miniature I'm, I'm work just is so good. bored. Like, who cares? Who cares about <laughs> the miniature work? It's these people that I don't care about. You know, it, it, there's no, no, no tension. Like, I don't know. The thing is, you'd care even less if you recognize those Australian ac- ac- actors from, like, <laughs> shitty soap operas and stuff, as I did. <laughs> but I did not, so... <laughs> I was blissfully ignorant... All right, well, that was 2021, I think. Are we ready for the next great year of Product A+. Plus? Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, uh, I've been Hunter. I've been here. And that's all we got for you guys. Merry New Year. Merry New Year.